Yeah. So if you haven't heard, we're starting a series today called The Last Days. Some of you were dragged here and you are so cynical when it comes to this. And I can just say, listen, I can understand the cynicism because every generation since probably the beginning of time has talked about the last days that the end is near, right? Nostradamus, uh, the Mayan calendar, doomsday clock, Halley's Comet, right? And even within the vein of Christianity, there seems to be like all of these, I mean, and I'm talking about pretty well-known people. By the way, I, I am gonna wear this the whole sermon, so uh, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> I need to take it off now. <laughs> even, even within Christianity, there's been this thought that the, I mean, Ignatius, back in 110 AD, um, says the last days are upon us. Hippolytus of Rome, back in 236 AD, said that Christ is sure to return by 500 AD. Martin Luther, one of the heroes of the church, 500 years ago, Martin Luther said the world will not last for 100 years. Christopher Columbus do you know that Christopher Columbus actually wrote a book on Bible prophecy? Who would, I, I haven't been able to find it, been seeing some things online about it, but Christopher Columbus made a prediction of when the end would come. And so, so I, I can understand if you're here this morning, you're like, oh goodness, seriously? Like we're gonna be talking about the last days. Like, and so I was talking to people after the first service and they're like, man, I've been to church all my life and I've heard all the things. And you know, there's just so much that swirls around this. And so what we want to do today, if you wanted all of, your an- all of your questions answered in one sermon, that ain't going to happen, all right? So you're going to have to come back next week. But today what I wanted to do is just help you to understand that the last days is not just a phenomenon found like in the book of Revelation, but the last days is something that's talked about by a number of biblical authors and not just in the New Testament, but also in the Old Testament. And in fact, in the New Testament, Uh, there's five different authors that talk about the last days. Luke talks about the last days in the book of Acts. Paul talks about it in 2 Timothy. James talks about it in his letter. Peter uses it in the letter uh, that we call 2 Peter. The writer of Hebrews talks about it in their epistle. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew equivalent latter days is used by Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, Micah. Daniel calls it the appointed time the time of the end, the end, and the end of days. Daniel liked to talk about this a lot, right? So the question is, all right, so if all these Bible authors talk about the last days, like are we in the last days? And my answer would be yes. Actually, biblically, we know that from the time of Jesus' ascension, after his death and resurrection, that we have been in the last days. And some of you are like, well, that doesn't make any sense. I mean, that means we've been in the last days for like 2,000 years. Like, what is up with that? And the only way that I can describe it, it, the best way that I can describe it is maybe you know somebody who loves sports, Okay, I know some of you in this room are like, I hate the sports analogies. Okay, you'll, you'll like this one. If you hate the sports analogies, you'll like this one. Maybe you, you know someone who loves sports, but you don't love it so much. And so they've been watching, let's say, a football game. We're in college football season, NFL season. So they're watching a football game, and you come in the room, and you say, man, how much longer is this game going to last? And if, if your loved one has ever responded by saying, well, we're in the fourth quarter, you know that that means absolutely nothing, right? 
the fourth quarter, I mean, there could be seconds left. There could be, I've watched games where at least it feels like it was at least an hour long, right? I know there's 15 minutes up on the clock, but between, you know, calls from the referees, people getting, you know, running off the field and stopping the clock, timeouts, injuries, all of that, like it can feel like forever, right? When it comes to the last days, we are in the final quarter, right? And last doesn't mean short. Last just means final. That's why when we say we're in the the last quarter, we mean we're in the final quarter. And what I want to do today is just biblically, and we're not even going to look at the book of Revelation today, just from all of these other authors who talk about the last days, what I want to do is just look at seven events of the last days, and then I'll give you a kind of an idea of where we're going to be going next week as well. But what are, from these various authors, what are the events that we can expect to happen in the last days? And some of these are going to be ones that you're like, yeah, I would have thought of that. And some of them are going to be ones that you're like, oh, I wouldn't have put that on my list. But they're the events that when we look up the last days in scripture that we see happening. Here we go. Are you guys ready for this? Put on your seat buckle. Here we go. Number one, the event that you can expect to happen in the last days is the reign of Jesus. The reign of Jesus. Can I tell you throughout scripture, when the last days are talked about, one of the things that you will find that is consistently going on in the last days is Jesus Christ reigns. Okay, maybe if you're younger in this room, I remember growing up in the church that had this song. They would sing the song, Our God Reigns. Our God reigns. It was, just, it was the same line. Just the whole song was just a whole, the same line. I remember as a little kid going, What's the deal with the precipitation going on with God? Like, and I didn't realize it was R-E-I-G-N-S or R-E-I, whatever, if you're British or however you want to spell it. Like, it, no, what we're saying is Jesus is seated on the throne. He is control. He is sovereign over the nations of the earth. He, he, he is, he's handling things, all right? Look at, look at Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight, by the way, if you were stranded on a desert island and you only had one chapter from the Bible, I would make, a good, I would make an argument that Romans eight would be one of the ones that you would consider having. Romans eight starts with, if you've been around church world, you've heard this one. Romans eight verse one, it starts with, there is now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. I have some Bible nerds in the room. All right, good job, you guys. So there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the idea is that if you are in Christ, once you are not in Christ, once you are going down your own path, doing your own thing, and you're realizing the recklessness of your own way, and you realize one day, man, I am sin-stained and sin-covered and broken and helpless and powerless. I got, God, I need you in my life. And you humbled yourself And you said, Jesus, I believe you are the son of God, crucified, risen. I need you to come and be the master of my life. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I want to follow you. I want to go where you want me to go. I want to say what you want me to say. I want to do what you want me to do. When I accept Christ, scripture says that I am now in Christ Jesus, I'm in him. I'm no longer in Adam. I'm in Christ. So Romans 8 verse 1 says, if you're in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. You don't walk around with shame and guilt because you've been forgiven past, present, future. It's awesome. Well, this idea of condemnation keeps going on throughout. And in verse 34, Paul says, who then will condemn us? No one. He's talking about followers of Jesus. You can't be condemned. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us. Let me pause right there. That's past tense. 
He died for us and he was raised to life for us, right? But now we're about to see present tense. And he is, this is present tense, sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand. And what's he doing? He's pleading for us. He's interceding for us. He cares about you. He sees you. He loves you. And he's pleading for you. But here's what I want you to get out of this. He is right now, currently, present tense, at the right hand of the Father, which signifies that he is exalted over everything and everyone. And so when I'm watching the news and I'm getting my panties in a wad and I'm so scared and oh, oh, it's the end of the world, I can know, listen, Jesus reigns. He reigns. No matter what is going on around us, he reigns. Okay? That doesn't mean that I can now can just sit on the couch and eat Doritos until he comes back. Okay, we're gonna talk some about in this series about our role in this, but I, can, I don't have to freak out. I can understand that he reigns. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 22. It says, now Christ has gone to heaven and he is seated in the place of honor next to God. I love it, we just, we just read that, uh, you know, Paul said the same thing, right? He's seated in the place of honor next to God. And look at this, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. See, the focus of Bible prophecies should not be the beast or the dragon or the antichrist or the mark of the beast or all these things. The focus of Bi true Bible prophecy should be Jesus reigns. He is in control. I don't have to freak out. Jesus is in control. Now, why am I saying that so much? You're like, Ken, you're really passionate about that. It's because I'm preaching to myself. Because I have a tendency to freak out when I look at what's going on in this world. I've got to remember, no, Jesus reigns. Carrie has this enduring quality. There's so many great things about her. And at first, this used to drive me crazy, but I've accepted that it is what it is. And it's kind of cute now. But if we're going to see a movie, especially, uh, actually, I think she does this for every movie we watch. It could be Pixar, and I think she does it. But specifically, it used to be like suspenseful movies. Carrie would have this thing that she did. You, you guys won't believe this. She will Google the movie before we go so that she knows how the movie ends. I know, I know, I know. I've tried telling her, right? How many of you do that? Just be honest in the house of the Lord, don't be a liar. Do you, you do that with movies, you ever Google? First service, we had a bunch. This service is only, we, we love you. This is a safe, safe place, Gail. We love you, all right? And so, so, but here's the thing. We're watching a movie and Carrie's living her best life while I'm chewing on my fingernails and I'm like freaking out and you know, like because she already knows the end of the movie. She already knows how this thing's going down. And so she can sit there a little bit more at peace than I am, not having a clue how this thing's gonna go down. Listen, we know how this ends. And can it be clear? Can you just understand? Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. And that's helpful to me to know how, to know how it ends. Number two, an event that you should know about regarding the last days is the power of the Spirit. 
The power of the Spirit. You're like, Ken, I thought we were going to talk about like Antichrist and stuff. We're gonna, don't worry, we're going to get to some of that stuff. But here, this is from the Bible. If you look in the Bible and study the last days, you will know the reign of Christ. Number two, you will know the power of the Holy Spirit. In fact, there was this event that happened 50 days after Jesus' resurrection. Just happened to be the Jewish feast day of Pentecost. It was a feast day that recognized harvest and celebrated harvest in the calendar. And so Jesus, after he had been resurrected from the grave, he told his disciples, he said, hey, I'm gonna go away from here, but here's what you guys need to do. Don't scatter. I need you guys to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift that my father has promised. He says, in a few days, you guys remember how John, the Duncan man, would baptize people in the Jordan River and soak them and drench them in the Jordan River? He goes, in a few days, you will be drenched, you will be soaked and immersed in the Holy Spirit. I could just see one of them saying, hey, wait, 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 but back in John chapter 20, the night that you rose from the grave, we received the Holy Spirit. You breathed on us and said, receive the Holy Spirit, so we've received the Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes, I know, I know, but you will be baptized, immersed, soaked, drenched, overwhelmed in the Holy Spirit. And so they wait around. Jesus ascends to the Father. This is uh, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, 10 days after Jesus' ascension. They're hanging out, and it happens. You can read all about it in Acts chapter two. They're baptized in the Holy Spirit. And now Peter, who just a few days earlier denied that he even knew Jesus to a little servant girl. Now Jesus, thousands of, or Peter, now thousands of people have gathered around and Peter gets up on a soapbox. I don't know, maybe it wasn't. But he, he gets up and he starts preaching. And in the midst of his sermon in Acts chapter two, Peter quotes an old ancient prophecy from, from Joel chapter two, and he quotes it here. He says, this is Peter on the day of Pentecost. He says, in the last days, God says, say God says. God says. God says, and in the last days, right? So this is the last days. He says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Now, prophecy, sometimes we go, do, 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 do. You know, what's that? Prophecy just simply means to boldly declare the truth of God. How many of you would love to see your sons, your daughters prophesying, boldly declaring the word of God to their generation? He says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. I would include young women as well. Your old men, old women will dream dreams in those days. I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike. And they will prophesy, and I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. Like, listen, one of the things that Scripture talks about that we can expect in the last days is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, when he shows up, he always exalts Jesus. He always lifts up Jesus. He produces qualities in followers of Jesus like love and joy, and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit gifts his church and equips his church and gives his church boldness to do what the church is meant to do, to fulfill the calling that Jesus has for the church. And so one of the things that we can expect as we are in the last days is more and more of a measure of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit so that we can have boldness to be witnesses. Listen, I, I don't know about you, I'm hungry for this. I'm saying, Holy Spirit, I believe we're in the last days. Would you pour out your spirit? I need more, Holy Spirit. Thank you that you're in me and with me. 
Thank you. When, I, when, I, when I received the grace of Jesus and I asked him to forgive me of my sins, I received the Holy Spirit. You did too if you're a believer, but I want more. Peter says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Or Paul said it. Paul says, keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So every day, Holy Spirit, I just want more of you. I want to keep in step with you. I want more of your anointing. We need to be, church, we need to be hungry for more of the Holy Spirit. Don't allow yourself to go, oh, I don't know about that. Lean in. Lean in. So in the last days, you can expect the reign of Jesus you can expect the power of the Spirit, and here's the one that you probably aren't going to like so much, but it's the truth. You can expect persecution and tribulation. When the Bible talks about last days, I'm sorry to say this, the part of the last days is persecution and tribulation. Turn to the person next to you and say, I don't like this one. Yeah, that's all right. You can say that. It's okay. You can say that. I don't like, I don't like this one, okay? I wish I, I wish I didn't have to preach this, but this is part of what the Bible says about the last days. In 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul is writing to a young pastor that he has been mentoring and just coming alongside. And so Paul writes to him, and, and in verse one, he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there we go, the last days, right? In the last days, there will be what? It's up on the screen, y'all. <laughs> there will be what? I hate to break it to you, in the last days, there will be very difficult days. If you skip to verse 10, Paul says, but you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach. You know how I live, what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance. Look at this in verse 11. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted in Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, but the Lord rescued me from all of it. Now look at verse 12. Yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will what? Okay, I don't think any of us are gonna make this our life verse, okay? I'm <laughs> walking around with, hey, I now have a new life verse. I just want us to make sure we understand the truth of God's word. Sometimes I think, and I don't know where this comes from, maybe it's faulty preaching, maybe it's because we overemphasize some verses over other verses, or we take verses out of context, but I think somewhere along the way, especially in American Christianity, we have this thought that if I ask Jesus to come into my life, if I ask him to forgive me of my sins and be the master and leader of my life, he's going to be like the cosmic, you know, um, the band-aid who just takes away all of our ouchies and boo-boos. We'll never experience hurt and we'll never experience hardship. And I just, I, I wish that was true, but according to the word of God, that, that's not true. That wasn't true for Paul. That wasn't true for any of Jesus' original followers, his disciples. And here's what Paul is saying, that if we want to pursue godliness, it won't be true of us either. We can expect to suffer Persecution. Now, I I don't like this, and you don't like this, but here's the thing. We need to expect it, because if we don't expect it when it comes, you know what happens? And I've seen it. People fold. People say, I didn't know that's what this was all about. I thought following Jesus was going to be cupcakes and unicorns, and it's all going to be all, you know, we're just going to be dancing through the tulips. No, no, no. Part of following Jesus is going to be suffering persecution. He says, verse 13, but evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. Listen, this is why it's so important that we understand the first two events that happened in the last days is the reign of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And when we suffer persecution, we can understand that we will have a measure of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen this throughout church fathers, throughout the centuries, that when men and women have been persecuted for the sake of Christ, they have always had the peace of God and the presence of God in the midst of what they're walking through. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. That I can be bold and courageous in spite of danger and criticism and threats. That I can follow Jesus faithfully and obey him regardless of what everyone around me is saying. And you need that too. The truth of the matter is martyrdom and persecution for people who believe in Jesus is a reality today. There's a, there's a website you can go to called opendoors.org, opendoors.org if you wanna write that down. They, they follow persecution trends that are going on around the world. On their website, they say 260 million Christians are living in areas that are experiencing high levels of persecution. Right now, 260 million Christians are living in areas. By the way, we are not experiencing high levels of persecution, okay? Sometimes Christians in America like to have like this persecution complex. 5,621 Christians were killed for their faith last year. 5,621 Christians. BBC, which is not a Christian organization, journalist, uh, BBC uh, is a British, uh, one of the main uh, uh, like Associated Press. BBC, an article uh, from May 2019 says Christian persecution, and then they had this quote, at near genocide levels. Christian persecution at near genocide levels. That at near genocide levels was actually a quote from the British Foreign Secretary at the time. I mean, these aren't, these aren't knuckleheads saying this. These are people in the know. Our brothers and sisters in Christ are giving their lives right now for the same exact things that we take for granted. We, we can expect, as we are in the last days, to experience suffering and persecution. But, but again, Christ reigns. And his Holy Spirit is, is poured out for us. And we can lean on him. Number four, we can expect Israel to be attacked. Israel will be attacked in the last days. There is so much about Israel in Bible prophecy. You say, why is that? I was talking to a guy on the phone on Friday. Uh, We were having this conversation and uh, he was like, man, what is the deal with Israel and Christians? (laughs) And I said, well, Israel is the, this, Israel is the genetic national conduit that gave us Christ. In fact, the story of the Bible is that Israel is the apple of God's eye. He chose Abraham, and out of Abraham's seed, the descendants of Abraham would be the people that he loves. They're his favorites. And you say, well, God can't have favorites. He does. I mean, you can, you can not like it, but it's the truth. And here's what we know from day one, Israel has always, I mean, other than a few times in their history, Israel has always been the underdogs. There's this anti-Semitism deception that Israel's always been on top. Look throughout their history. Their history has not been one of domination. Their history has been in almost every generation that they have been the underdogs. That's why sometimes we get tripped up in passages in the Old Testament where Israel will have a victory through, through God and through God's power, they'll have a victory over their enemies and, and it uses language that sometimes is hyper 
symbolic, you know, they, they annihilated everybody. Every man and woman was wiped out. Well, and then a chapter later, that other nation still exists. So we know that, we know that it's using language like, you know, the Browns slaughtered the San Francisco 49ers. <laughs> well, they didn't slaughter them. But we use this kind of language, right? This, this is just an aside, but, but one of the reasons why you see those kinds of passages in the Bible is because Israel had always been the underdog. So when they were victorious over an army, by the way, that was coming against them most of the time, like it was a big deal in their literature. It was a big deal that they, that they talk about that. And, and I don't, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's just part of script. Whenever you read through Bible prophecy, part of the deal is in the last days, Israel's attacked. And this isn't just in the book of Revelation. In fact, let me read to you a passage from Ezekiel. Ezekiel was written like almost, almost 500 years before Jesus. So about 2,500 years ago. And I just want to read you a couple verses. We could nerd out on this and talk about this all day. But in Ezekiel chapter 38, let's just read, let's start with verse 14. It says this, therefore, son of man, prophesy against Gog. Gog, G-O-G, okay, remember that name. Prophesy against Gog. Give him, Gog, this message from the sovereign Lord. When my people, and the people that he's referring to now is Israel, he's saying to Gog, this land we're gonna talk about, when my people, Israel, are living in, a, living in peace in their land, then you will rouse yourself, speaking to Gog, you will come from your homeland to the distant north, with your vast cavalry and your mighty army, and you will attack my people Israel, covering their land like a cloud. At that time in the distant future, I will bring you against my land as everyone watches. Isn't it interesting, 2,500 years ago, he's prophesying that everyone will watch this happening, and now today we can literally watch in real time everything that's going on, right? He says, as everyone watches, and my holiness, this is God speaking, my holiness will be displayed by what happens to you, Gog. Then all the nations will know that I am the Lord. Well, earlier in chapter 38, in verse two, Ezekiel gives us a list of nations that are gonna come against Israel. The first is Magog, or Gog, so G-O-G or M-A-G-O-G. Magog means the prince of Rosh, R-O-S-H. Rosh is the old root word for the land of Russia. So we have Russia that's specifically being being talked to by God and, and about how Russia is going to come against Israel. But we also see in the beginning of chapter 38 that Russia is accompanied by Persia. By the way, Persia is located in what modern nation? Iran is correct. That is the correct answer. So 2,500 years ago, we're not even in the book of Revelation yet. 2,500 years ago, Ezekiel is prophesying to Gog or to Russia, who's going to be accompanied by Persia, or today would be Iran, that they're coming against Israel as the whole world watches and are going to descend upon Israel like a cloud. But the glory of God is going to be displayed in the midst of it. One of the constants that you'll see in Bible prophecy is the harassment and the attack of Israel. And by the way, this didn't just start a couple weeks ago in the beginning of October, okay? The harassment of Israel has been going on for a long time. So what do we do? How, what is our response supposed to be? Well, one of the things you see repeated in scripture is, and I'm, I, let's just read Psalm 122, verse six. It says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. They shall prosper that love thee. Or you can translate that. They will be secure 
those who love Israel. I'm just gonna tell you, and we don't get political a lot at Journey, but I can just tell you, like, as followers of Jesus, even forget national allegiances for a moment, we need to be a people who side with Israel. That's not to say that Israel, the government, the government of Israel gets it right every time. It doesn't mean that we can't find very practical ways of helping innocent people that are in the line of attack and we should do everything we can to help in those situations. But can I tell you, every ceasefire that's been called for and every ceasefire that's been agreed to by Israel has not, it has not helped Israel. Israel isn't the one who violates ceasefires, it's everybody else who violates the ceasefires. A ceasefire is not necessarily the answer. I'm not, and I'm not trying, I, there's people way smarter than I am. I'm just saying from a practical perspective, I wanna make sure that I personally am lining up with Israel. And I can say this, and I know there, a lot of us have disagreements with all kinds of different politicians. I, I would give him credit. You know, I haven't agreed with everything that our current president does, but I love that in spite of, of, of a lot of opposition in his own party, that he has thus far siding with Israel. I haven't seen the news today, so someone who could come up with me, oh, you didn't see this. I, thus far from the news I saw up to yesterday, he, he's siding with Israel, and we need to support that and encourage that. When we see our government doing what we want them to do, we need to let them know that we appreciate that. Our legislators and in the Senate and in the Congress, we need to make it clear we want to be a people who side with Israel. And it's going to, listen, I'm not, you know, people say, okay, does that mean, that means the end is now, right? Well, be careful here. Just realize this is a consistent thing in the last days that Israel will continue to be harassed. They will continue to be attacked. All right, number five. We're talking about events in the last days. The return of Jesus. The return of Jesus. If you have the notes in front of you, you go, there's not really many notes here. We're gonna talk all about this next week, okay? In fact, next week's sermon is all gonna be about the return of Jesus or the second coming. And some of you are going, man, you really believe that? You really believe Jesus is coming back? I believe Jesus is coming back. I believe his return is imminent. That's a great big college word that means it could happen any moment. Before I get done with this sentence, Jesus could come back, right? We believe his return is imminent. We're gonna look at scripture next week. And so if you're confused, you wanna know what that's all about, we're just gonna, and we're gonna look at it in a way that's not, listen, my, my goal is not to freak people out and scare people about this. It's that we would have a hope. The return of Jesus is always presented in the New Testament as a hope that we can encourage one another in the fact that Jesus is coming back. So we'll talk about that next week. Number six is the resurrection of believers in creation. Number six, an event that you can expect in the last days is the resurrection of believers in creation. We were talking about Romans 8 earlier. You know, there's now no condemnation. And in Romans 8, where Jesus is going to be enthroned, he's at the right hand of the Father, he's pleading for us. Well, if you look at verse 19, Romans 8 says, For all creation, would you say all creation? All creation, creation is not humans, creation is oceans and mountains and flowers and fish and birds and creatures. All creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. 
You're saying, well, what in the world was that? When was creation subjected to God's curse? When humanity decided, Adam and Eve decided that they knew better than God, God's holding out on us, he doesn't really care about us, he doesn't really love us, we're gonna do what we think is best. When humanity decided to violate and to reject God's commandments, not only was there a chasm that now was created between God and man, and not only was there a disruption in the relationship between human and human, Instead of now having perfect intimacy with one another, now we're riddled with insecurities and fears and all this other stuff that comes up in our interpersonal relationships. But now there was also a curse on creation itself. And that's why we look around us and we go, man, what is up with this world? We're gonna talk some about this next week. You know, what is up with all these events that are happening in our climate and all this stuff? Listen, creation itself is under a curse because of our sin. And all of creation is longing. Uh, look at, um, but with eager hope, verse 21, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. Do you find yourself groaning lately? Oh God, what is what is going on? Oh, not another oh, not another shooting. Not another like we find ourselves groaning, right? For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies that he has promised us. Here's just something we can look forward to regarding the last days, the resurrection of believers in creation. This world that is broken will be made right. Be made right. You wanna know more about this, we don't have time to go into it, but you can look up 1 Corinthians 15. Paul talks a lot about that in 1 Corinthians 15. And then also 1 Thessalonians chapter four. And then here's the seventh, and by the way, there's more events that we could talk about. I'm just highlighting seven. You, you could have your own list, but these, this is my, I've got the mic, so I, I came up with seven. So I don't, I don't need emails of, you know there's more than seven. These are the seven that, that I felt like we should look at. Number seven is the judgment of God. The seventh event that you can expect in the last days is the judgment of God. Paul is writing to the men of Athens in Acts chapter 17 and he says this, he says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. He's talking about before Christ, before Jesus, before his death and resurrection and ascension, before his ministry. God, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Well, who is he appointed? He has proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Who is he appointed to judge the world? So, Jesus. We can expect in the last days that Jesus, who is ruling and reigning at this very moment, will judge the world. And all the, all the injustices, all the, oh, God, how, God, why is, all the stuff that we, that we find ourselves saying, Jesus will judge it. All things will be made right. Not only is Jesus gonna judge the world, he's gonna judge followers of Jesus. Say, wait, 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 I thought if my name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, I'm good, I'm set, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell, we're set. Well, there's gonna be another judgment, just of believers. Regarding 
what we did with what God gave us. Say, well, what has God given me? He's given me breath. Give me energy, giving me life, time, resources. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, anyone who builds on a foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. He's, he's writing to followers of Jesus. He's writing about the works that we have accomplished in our lives. He says, a fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. It's important not just that we've asked Jesus to come into our lives, to forgive us of our sins, to be the master and leader of our lives. It's important that we live a life that is in alignment with him being the master of our lives. That we live a life of obedience, that we live a life of faithfulness. And just in the midst of what God has called us to do, in the midst of our work, in the midst of parenting or grandparenting, or in the midst of, we are being faithful and obedient to what God has called us to do, to be the people that he has called us to be. So here's, here's, here's where we're at. Our confidence is in Jesus. In the first point, we learn that he reigns, and in the last point, we learn that he's gonna judge. And the most important thing to know about the last days is that Jesus is in charge. He's not shocked at what's going on. He's not out there going, ooh, I wonder how this is gonna play out. And some of us, some of us who grew up in 80s Christianity, early 90s Christianity, there was something taught back then that was just a wrong theology. It was a theology called dualism. And, and there was a lot of right things about some of the stuff we heard, but this one in particular is really messed up. And if you ever did a drama to the champion, if we did, some of you are going, what are you even talking about? You don't need to worry about it then. Some of us do. And it was this idea of Jesus and, and the devil duking it out and who's gonna win? Jesus wins. Carrie Googled it. We don't have to be stressed. <laughs> Understanding what God is doing in the last days should lead to hope and it should lead to spiritual realignment. Because when I meditate on who God is and what he's doing in the last days, I don't know about you, but my priorities are recentered. Every time, every time I go and study this, I go, ooh. The things that I think are so important, they're really not that important. This life is not the end all be all. It comes back to Jesus reigning. Am I personally allowing Jesus to rule and reign and be the master in my life? See, one of the things that's gonna happen at the end, and it's gonna happen regardless, maybe you're here in this room and you're like, oh, I don't believe this stuff about Jesus. I don't believe in Jesus. That's all right, he believes in you. And the Bible says that there's gonna be an event that's gonna happen where everyone is going to see Jesus. And it's not gonna be little baby Jesus in the manger. This is gonna be the, the Jesus that Ezekiel experienced in Ezekiel chapter one. This is gonna be the Jesus that John, who even though he knew Jesus in his earthly body, when he sees a revelation of Christ in the book of Revelation, he sees him, and even though they were best friends on earth, when John sees Jesus in his resurrected glorified body, what does John do? He falls to his knees and starts sucking carpet. 
Bible says regardless of what your views are on Jesus, there's gonna come a day where you will see Jesus. In fact, it says this in Philippians chapter two, therefore God elevated Jesus Christ to the place of highest honor and gave Jesus a name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, listen to this, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If you don't do it now, you will one day When you see Jesus in his glorified, exalted state, you will fall to your knees. And you will find yourself, it'll just be reflex and reaction. You will find yourself saying, Jesus Christ is, you might stutter it, but you'll say he's Lord. Listen, I don't wanna wait until that day. I wanna make sure I'm right now. I wanna make sure I'm ready now. And this is not, I'm not trying to use manipulation or guilt or trying to scare you. I just wanna ask the question, are you ready? We're in the last days. We're in the final quarter. Don't ask me how many seconds are actually left. I don't know. But we're in the last days. We're in the final quarter. Jesus is coming back. All these things that we talked about today, they are gonna happen. Are you ready? Whether you would put upon yourself the label of Christian or Lutheran, Methodist, Pentecostal, Episcopalian, Catholic, whatever labels, we we put all these, put all that stuff to the side. I'm just simply asking, are you ready? Are you ready? If there's anything in your life where you just feel like there's, that you're, you're out of alignment, Anything in your life where you're like, I just, maybe, maybe for you, you've never asked you, you've never humbled yourself and said, Jesus, have mercy on me, forgive me. I want you to be the master and leader of my life. Maybe you're here and you say, I am a Christian, but there's stuff, I've, I've made some decisions lately. I've shoved Jesus over the side. He hasn't been the consistent, active, actual master and leader of my life. I need to, I need to get some things right. I'm gonna ask you just simply, everyone in this room, just to stand to your feet. If you're watching online, I ask you just to put the iron to the side or whatever you're multitasking with right now. If you're watching online, would you just really pay attention to this moment? Whatever you're doing, just stop all that activity and just for a moment, just listen and pay attention to me. Are you ready for Christ's return? The signs are all around us that we're in the last days. It's undeniable when you look at Bible prophecy that these things are happening today. Are you ready? If you're not, I'm gonna ask you to do something that's gonna, you're gonna say, Ken, are you kidding me? I'm not doing that, not in a room with this many people in it. Listen, if we can't do it in a room full of Christians, we're certainly not gonna do it when the going gets rough. If you're here and you just say, Ken, I just say, you're a Christian, I'm not saying that you're, you're, you know, oh, I'm going to hell if I don't come, I'm just saying, whatever's, place you're at in your spiritual journey and you say, Ken, I, there's some things I need to get right. I'm just gonna ask you to boldly, you're, Ken, can't we close our eyes and bow our heads and let me raise my hand in secret? Today, I really feel the Holy Spirit's leading. No, no, I, make a move, make a physical move. Get out of where you're at and make a physical move of, of just saying, God, I wanna be right with you. If that's you, I'm just gonna ask you to make a move. The first couple people are gonna be the most awkward. It's gonna be weird. We're all gonna be wondering, did Ken miss the boat on this? But that's you and you know it. There's an internal dialogue right now going on inside of you. There's, a, there's actually a battle going on inside of you and you know that you need to respond. I'm just gonna ask you right now, right now to come, come forward. Just find a place, either stand or kneel or sit. 
You say, I, just, I need to make things right. I need to get things right with Jesus. I want to be ready. I want to be ready. Go ahead. Come on up. And if you know you're set and you know you're good, you don't need to be cheesing on who's coming. Oh, who, who was that over there? Like, just start praying, church. Just start praying. Just start praying. We want to be a church that's ready. We want to be a people that's ready. We want to be a people that's ready. Oh, Lord, I want to be ready for you. I want to be ready for you. I want to be ready for you. I want to be ready for you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. Jesus, I don't want anything to be between me and you. I don't want anything else sitting in the throne of my life. Jesus, you alone sit in the throne. Even the good things, even the good things that would distract me from you, God, move those things to the side. I want you to be first. I want you to be priority. God, help us to be a people that are right. Maybe there's issues of forgiveness. Maybe there's issues, you've got bitterness in your heart and it's keeping you from Jesus. It's keeping you from alignment with Jesus. Let that person go. They're not worth it. Let that person go. Choose to forgive. Choose to let go. You've been hurt. You've experienced abuse. You've experienced horrible, horrible things. Let them go. Doesn't mean that they're not wrong. They were wrong. You're just saying you don't owe me anymore. I release you. Oh God. Oh God. God, we want to be right before you. We don't want anything to get in the way of you. I'm going to ask some of our prayer partners, some of the leaders in our church, if you want to come and just stand beside side someone. Just listen, it's the way we encourage our prayer partners, our, our leaders, ministry leaders, life group leaders. If you would come up and just find someone just to come alongside them right now. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you're still out in the chairs, just, just pray. Pray for yourself. Pray for those who are up here. Jesus. If you're at home and you're still watching, I just challenge you, just find a place of quiet right where you are. Ask the Lord, am I ready? Am I ready? I want to be ready. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, God. Oh, God. We want you. God, we talked about your spirit. Would you pour out your spirit? God, that this wouldn't just be a moment of letting things go. It wouldn't just be a moment of realignment. God, would this be a moment of the empowerment of your spirit upon your people, the people that you love? God, we need your power. Produce your fruits in and through us. Equip us with your gifts. We want to stand firm. We don't want our hearts to grow cold. Oh, God. <laughs> 